Let's pray together. God of all life, you have breathed life within us. You have given us your Holy Spirit. Guide us this morning as we reflect on being lost and being found. And let us hear what your spirit wants to say to your church this morning. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. The other night, my housemate and our neighbor went to a local monthly conversation called Theology on Tap. Anybody heard of this before? Oh, okay, good. For those of you who haven't, it's the discussing God and faith over a beer or a drink of your choice. And they came home to find me set up, ready to sermonize in the living room uh, with a beer of my own from our refrigerator. And it occurred to me that in the stories in our series, and really a lot of the time, Jesus is teaching with a glass of wine in his hand. I've just noticed this. So, I don't know, just something to think about. It just kind of makes me think. Don't worry, the thing in my bottle is just water. On on Sunday mornings, it's just water, but it makes me think a little bit. And so finally, we've come to this passage that Todd has been quoting with great delight throughout the last couple of weeks. This guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. As if a godly person, as if God would do otherwise. And so Jesus tells these stories that we've just heard in response to the critique that he's eating with sinners. But just take a moment to notice that in the first verse of this chapter, these are the people who are actually responding to Jesus' challenge at the end of the last chapter. Let those with ears to hear listen. These are the folks who have shown up and come close and gathered in to listen to Jesus. People who know that they're sinners, wealthy tax collectors and poor petty thieves alike, have come close to listen. But when Jesus hears the grumbling of these religious elite, it's not the sinners that he's addressing. Justo Gonzalez points out that Jesus is not primarily addressing the lost in these stories, but the never lost. You might remember that the parables that we heard today are the first two out of three culminating in the famous parable of the prodigal son or the prodigal father or actually both. And you know, it's just so Jesus-y to set up that long and beautiful story of God's generosity with a couple of not-quite-so-expected images of God, a shepherd and a woman. Jesus is always surprising us and trying to get us to look at the world differently constantly making main characters out of people we wouldn't expect. He's so hopeful and persistent in trying to jolt us out of our assumptions. And the picture of God that we get in these two parables 
is a God who is also doggedly hopeful and persistent. Both the shepherd tending his sheep and the woman tending her household represent God seeking and finding people who are lost and alone. In verse 4, the shepherd leaving the 99 is a bit absurd. Just as maybe Jesus eating with all these sinners also seemed absurd and risky to the good people of his time. It's risky because, well, I mean, we all know that sheep are pretty dumb and definitely not self-sufficient. And yet, the shepherd in this story leaves them out in the wilderness unsupervised and goes to find the one that wandered off. Who knows how long this might have taken? The shepherd is determined and takes as long as it takes to find and fetch this lone sheep. In the meantime, the rest of them might have wandered off. It's a little bit ridiculous, as Jesus often is when he's trying to make a point. And it was probably offensive to the Pharisees and the scribes that God would leave the 99 faithful ones in the wilderness to go after the one that had strayed. Just as the older brother was hurt and bitter in response to this father's joyful reinstating of his younger brother in the third of these stories. But there's at least one other way to look at this. Again, Gonzalez observes that something that this, these leaders might have noticed if they weren't so blinded by their preoccupation with their own righteousness. That actually the shepherd's commitment to go after the one that is lost gives a sense of security for the rest of the flock because they know that the shepherd will do the same thing for them. It's reassuring. That is, if you're willing to entertain the possibility that sometime you too might get lost. And the woman in verse 8 is just as committed to her search for the coin. Some of you might note in your, you might have a note in your Bible that it's the value, one of these coins is equivalent to an entire day of work for a laborer. So not only is it a significant value, but keeping track of the finances that she's been entrusted with is an important part of this woman's role and responsibility as keeper of the household. And so by finding the coin, she's restoring order and economic stability to her house, which is something that was deeply valued in a culture where the extended family is the primary institution of society, or a primary institution. I also came upon uh, the work of a woman uh, scholar, Carol uh, Shurston Laherd, and she had the chance to read these stories with some women who had moved to the United States from Lebanon and Egypt. And to these Middle Eastern women who were shaped by cultures that still have managed to have some immunity to the encroachments of Western culture. The description of this woman's home and her actions sounded very realistic. In that hot and dry climate, her small house would have few windows, and even during the day, she would need to light a lamp 
to do this search. And of course, she would call together her community of women to celebrate with her. In the Greek, we can see that it's female friends and neighbors that she calls together in verse 9. Some of these people she might have even enlisted to help her look for the coin. One woman who was being interviewed commented, whenever we lose something, we pray both before and after finding it. So this sense of great joy and gratitude and relief felt familiar to these Lebanese and Egyptian women, just as it might to us when we think about what it feels like to find something important that we had lost. If we feel this way about simple physical objects, how much more is there joy in the presence of the angels of God when someone turns toward the love that knows our names? Friends, the God we have gathered to worship this morning, the one who is worthy of all of our praise, of our love, and our very lives, is like a foolish shepherd leaving his flock to go after one stray sheep, and like a woman sweeping her house until she finds this one coin. She doesn't give up. She keeps the lamp burning. She listens for the scrape of metal between the stiff fibers of her broom and the dust of the earthen floor. We are embraced by the love of a God who searches and searches until she finds. This week, as I anticipated, among many others, the elective um, on the book Evicted, it seemed both timely and painfully ironic that we had just received a call from a woman who was in danger of being evicted from her apartment. This is a person who's employed. She has a decent wage. She had just been approved for Section 8 funding, and she had enough to pay the current month's rent. But she'd gotten behind, and her landlord wanted his back rent payments if he was going to let her stay. And this was to the tune of about two months' worth of rent, just a bit over. So, of course, you might imagine this parable is in the back of my mind as she's calling me throughout the week with updates. And as her landlord slowly started to come around, first he was willing to accept Section 8 funds, and then eventually, just when this mom was on Friday beginning to figure out where to keep her stuff as she crashed with some friends, he finally agreed that whatever help she would receive between the Spanish-American Civil Association, the Council of Churches, and us, he would take. But honestly, it was not clear that things would go this way. I couldn't help thinking that a valuable coin was slipping through the cracks. Also, this woman showed the persistence of the woman sweeping her house, searching, searching for the miracle that she needed to be able to stay in her current housing. 
And zooming out in Luke, I also saw this woman demonstrating the same persistence and hope, hope against hope, as the widow in chapter 18, who demands justice over and over. You know, maybe people who are in desperate situations show us the face of God precisely because the stakes are high and not finding what is being lost is just not an option for them. It's not acceptable. Just as God does not want to accept anyone being lost, just as God wants none to be lost and will continue searching and not giving up. Jesus also describes himself in this way after his encounter with Zacchaeus in chapter 19, verse 10, where he says, Son of man, the human one, came to seek out and to save the lost, to find and to heal. And the joy that then comes from the finding, the joy in learning you can stay in the apartment, overflows in ways that maybe sometimes we can't relate to. Or can we? Is there even such a thing as having never been lost? This whole business about needing no repentance, those who need no repentance, what? I mean, really? Who is there among us who needs no repentance? This is why I love this bit of self-reflection and remembering that we heard from Paul, because normally, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think we often think of Paul as so self-assured and bold in his pronouncements. But here he's just being vulnerable and remembering and being honest about having been an enemy of Christ and having been severely humbled in that encounter on the Damascus Road with the living Christ and having received a wide and deep mercy and grace that was wildly beyond any deserving. And he's so moved as he recounts this and remembers this that he breaks into a doxology right there at the beginning of the letter unto the eternal king Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory. Because all of us get lost. And hallelujah, in the persistence of true love, God keeps searching us out and finding. Remembering our need for the sustaining grace and mercy of God goes a long way to help us keep perspective as we're on the lookout for other people needing to be found by love. And let us remember God's great joy when we turn and admit our need. It's a party. When we do, in fact, find ourselves to be lost, We can trust that someone is looking for us, someone whose love is far beyond our understanding. So if our God, if our Lord Jesus continues looking for and finding the ones who have gotten lost, 
What does this mean for how we spend our energy? When we are mostly well and feeling at home at God's table, doesn't the love of Christ move us to go also searching and finding the ones who haven't yet come home? Not as if we are some kind of savior. We have one of those already. But, you know, maybe it actually means more often than not taking the risk of getting a little bit lost ourselves, a bit thrown off from our bearings. Because this happens often in the process of befriending somebody who is still hoping to be found by this persistently searching God. And so at the tables in your life this week, ask God to show you someone, a person it's worth getting a bit lost for, so that you both might come home to God. It is a risk. When we're with somebody who is needing to be found, we might end up rousing our own sleeping questions, our own doubts. But it is a risk that God is always taking on us in never giving up the search. As I finish, I invite you to take some moments in silence to ask God how you fit into this searching and joyful finding. What kind of repentance, what kind of turning toward God do you need today? Now, here, today. Are you needing to be found by love? Perhaps you are among the never lost. What might you need to release to have your hands free to take the hand of a sister or brother who is only now ready to come to the table. I invite you to be in prayer for some silent moments. Generous God, we are grateful that you do not give up the search. 
find us even now. You who know what we need even before we ask. Open our hearts, expand us, and let us be able to receive your vision and the power of your Holy Spirit to join you in seeking and to let you find us. We praise you for your love and your wide mercy. Amen.